this is going to get very, very ugly for a while. I knew it was going to get very ugly, and I knew that would be hard for me. I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Uh, Shreni Azkagara is a developer who lives and works in suburban Guadalajara. Guadalajara in specific, right now, I think it's considered the, the Silicon Valley of Mexico. Mm, obviously, there are different kinds of zones for the city. You know, there's um, the hipster zone, the, um, <laughs> the nightclub zone. And, of course, a growing tech zone. Shireni can work from Guadalajara thanks to collaboration tools. Zoom, of course, Slack, and the software repository GitHub. You can collaborate in different projects with people all over the world. I think it's super cool that it's so readily available for everyone. Guadalajara is what American companies call nearshore, not quite offshore. But there are developers offshore as well, of course. India, and more and more developing countries like Kenya. As a result, I mean, the African startup ecosystem is amazing, and I think that's really buoyed by um, a lot of the new technology that you make. Erica Brescia thinks a lot about remote work as investor for San Francisco's Redpoint Ventures. You were a GitHub for a good long time, which is all about collaboration tools. You help that company grow into what it is today. It is kind of the perfect storm, not just to work from home, to leave the office, but a perfect storm for people all over the world who were not involved in tech or didn't have the access Mm -hmm. to suddenly be involved. And it's not crazy to think that the next Salesforce will be built in Kinshasa. Yeah, so I actually have a long history, even pre-GitHub, for remote and distributed work. My company um, had offices in San Francisco and Spain and then employees all over the world. And so I've been working in a remote or hybrid capacity for over 15 years. So while this is new to a lot of folks, not so new to me, I'd say a couple things. I think the first is... You're right, and it's really exciting that we have the tools today to give access to talent 
all over the world. And I think the open source community actually plays a really critical role in this as well, right? Um, Back at GitHub, I used to tell a lot of stories of folks, you know, from Kenya who discovered open source, taught themselves how to code, like created a career for themselves, started lifting up their local community and economy and serving as a role model for others. And we see these, I mean, to me, really magical things happening in developing countries when people get access to technology and have the ability to kind of self-teach. At a time in which we are thinking about, you know, diversity, Mm -hmm. uh, that it used to be, you know, kind of think of the social network movie, you know, Mark (laughs) Zuckerberg moves from Massachusetts to Silicon Valley because Massachusetts is not, you know, the MIT Harvard is not techy enough. He was right. California's the place we've got to be. Oh, it's your Jed Clampett. I don't know. You guys got the Beverly Hillbillies in Brazil? Yeah. He comes to Palo Alto, right? And now tech is spread everywhere to the point where there is an African startup scene. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) It's amazing. Uh, So much capital and so much opportunity there. I think um, what is still a little challenging is concentrations of talent in specific areas. like specific uh, roles in different parts of the world. So something that we are still seeing a lot of is, you know, companies that are starting in Europe, for example, or or in Africa or wherever. Um, but I see this a lot with, with European and a lot with Israeli companies. Like they'll have these tech teams. And again, I think open source played this role in helping bring the world's coders together and help, help developers learn from each other. Um, we don't really have quite the same thing for marketers, for example, for sales leaders, you still do have a concentration of that talent in certain areas. And Silicon Valley is one of them. You know, New York is another one, especially if you're doing fintech, right? We're seeing a lot of crypto happening in Miami. Um, And so I think companies are still starting to, you know, when they go to build out their go-to-market teams, are hiring in specific locations. Now, what's interesting is now that more companies are getting more flexible with work and allowing remote work, we are seeing this talent migration out of some places like the Bay Area, right? I mean, I know countless people who have moved out of the San Francisco area and into places like you know, I mean, Montana now is growing a ton. Also, of course, Austin. You know, I'm seeing more folks pop up in Arizona, tons to Miami, New York as well. Um, I think with the greater flexibility in work, we're seeing some of the, you know, talent concentration kind of disperse a little bit. And I think that's a really good thing because we need to, these folks need to share their knowledge and experience and kind of hire folks reporting into them and teach them how to do it in different areas so that we can get the same distribution of marketing and go-to-sales talent and executive leadership talent that we have in technical and developer talent around the world. You have uh, investments in Dagger and is it Exacta? How do I pronounce it? Zada. Zada. Yes. Yep. Uh, very good. Dagger and Zada. Um, 
just looking at their websites, they don't seem to have a location. Are they distributed <laughs> or, or where did you, where are they located? Yes, they both are. And I have another unannounced uh, deal that I did as well. And they're also distributed. I will tell you, in Zada's case, um, it's a Romanian woman who's living in Berlin. Their team <laughs> is distributed all case over. Case in point. Exactly. Um, but her head of operations and finance is in New York, right? And in Dagger's case, the founders, they're all French, uh, all moved to the U.S. They're based here but their team is distributed. Their design team, a lot of their engineers are in France and a lot of their team is distributed. And this other company too, founder in San Francisco right now, hiring a distributed team. Um, But I do think they are thoughtful in how they construct those teams across these time zones to make sure that they're going to be able to scale um, and make the team work as they, again, to my earlier point, they reach 100, 200 people. So that might mean concentrated development teams maybe in Europe, go to marketing in the U.S., right? So that people are time zone aligned with their peers. How does that change your job in venture capital? I mean, we talk about uh, doing meetings over Zoom and pitch meetings over Zoom, and and that's one solution. But there's more to it than that. I mean, before everyone lived everywhere, you ran into people. You had a friend of a friend. Somebody made that classic warm introduction. Um, you stumbled across things. You walked past an office building and saw a new logo and said, now, who's that? Um, now, you know, how in the world do you even find a Romanian woman living in <laughs> Berlin or something in the African startup world, et cetera? It makes your job much more difficult, doesn't it? Um, it makes it more interesting, perhaps. Uh, I, you know, a couple things. I think, like, a lot of discovery is done digitally now, right? And if you think about it, like, Stack Overflow, you know, um, Product Hunt, Hacker News is, of course, one of our go-to sure. places. And everybody building developer tools, infrastructure, open source, like, you always have your Hacker News launch moment. And that really does help surface great opportunities. So I think you find folks there. I think, again, for the type of investing I do, a lot of it um, comes through the open source community. And that is pretty much always been globally distributed. And so you get to know folks through, you know, I'm going to be in Valencia on Monday in Spain because there's a uh, a WebAssembly day where all the WebAssembly developers are going. And I'm like, great, I can go to one place and I'm going to meet all these people. Um, so I think there's, there is still no real substitute for getting together in person, but there are a lot of different ways to do that through events, et cetera. What I will say is, you know, you have a lot of these just amazing talent distributed throughout the world. And what's interesting is what are the needs of these talented founders and how might those differ across different geographies, right? Like you take Monica from Zada. She is a a brilliant technologist. She had already built a company. It was acquired by Elastic. She ran a core engineering team at Elastic through their IPO before leaving to start this. Like she really knows how to build and lead engineering teams. You know, her, her previous company didn't reach an enormous scale in terms of team. And so what she might need from me as a former COO might be different from somebody else who, um, say, has never built out a team before, right? And they're a brilliant technologist. And if you're coming from a place where 
you might not have a strong go-to-market network because it's just not something that's as common where you're from. I mean, maybe it's Nigeria or something like that. You know, the founders coming from different parts of the world may have different needs in terms of how VCs can best support them in those early days of building out the team and and growing the company. Um, But for me, that's the fun of it, right? Each company, each founder, their needs are are unique and that differs by culture and geo and experience and sector and all kinds of things. And uh, that keeps it interesting. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That hypothetical um, startup person in Nigeria or wherever, as Silicon Valley venture capital comes in, um, I can see some trust issues, right? I, I almost think of, you know, the that you're the the Hollywood record producer who, who's found, you know, the, the start far more glamorous, well, far more glamorous, but, but also I'm, but a little shady as well. Right. I Fair. mean, think of, you know, think of the classic shady okay. Hollywood record producer, right. Is hi, I'm from California and I have money and you have a great idea. Uh, you have some legit street cred because of all of your time in open source. And I'm not disparaging any, any particular person in venture capital, but, um, as we begin to interact with the rest of the world, there will be some trust issues. Yeah, I think so. And part of this goes back to my comments before about things happening online. Like I find a lot of people through Twitter, (laughs) say what you will of the platform, that's a topic for a different podcast. But um, I think one thing, and I need to get better at this, I've been thinking about it, but one thing that you can do is just put your authentic self out there a lot, right? And what I try to do and why I go on podcasts and things like that is because I think it's important that you try to help founders get to know you and who you are as a person and, you know, how I think about my family and how that's important to me and what causes are important to me and things like that. I mean, VC relationships for founders are very long-term relationships, right? People 
talk about them like marriages. And it's true. Like you're partnered with these people, especially at the early stage. Like I expect to be working with these founders for 10 years and I want them to feel as good and excited about working with me as I do about working with them. And so I think part of it is really trying to put yourself out there and help people get to know you. Um, And another thing is spending time on them and just like building that relationship over time, showing value, you know, with these, these founders that I've backed so far, you know, I'm texting with them or in their WhatsApp or Discord constantly. You know, you kind of like build this working relationship and and trust that way. And it's funny, actually, in in Monica's case with Zada, I didn't meet her in person until three weeks ago. And I did a seed investment before I joined Redpoint a year ago. So I did her seed and led the Series A, having never met her in person. And how much money was that? Uh, $30 million. <laughs> I mean, from us, well, ours was a, a, we did lead. So we were the vast ma- majority of that, but we did co-lead with index. So yes. they put money in too, but it's a lot of money to put in. And of course you, you did met. your due diligence, but oh yeah, but, but you, you are maybe the first person I've ever met who gave someone $30 million <laughs> and then just recently met them. <laughs> well, again, I think the important context is I have been working remotely and building relationships for over 15 years. So this mode of working for me is not entirely new. And, you know, I think different different venture capitalists have different, like, superpowers, um, or at least we hope they're superpowers. And I think one of mine is um, connecting with people, building relationships, and, and judging talent, quite frankly, um, quickly and sometimes when we can't meet in person. Um, and I think when you talk about investing in remote companies around the world, you know, you have to be good at that and you have to be build good at building trust and building those relationships. And um, it's something I hope to continue to improve. As you mentioned, you've been in the tech industry for quite some time, but you are relatively new to, to venture capital. Four months. <laughs> Four months, yes. Um, yeah. I spoke to one venture capitalist who I think he was downplaying his own skill, but he said that, you know, no, it was all, it was mostly luck because I got in at the right part of the cycle. Hmm. You know, everything had been depressed and 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 nobody was investing. And I, you know, st- the, the stairs started to go back up and to the right again. Um, do you ever worry that you joined at just the right, wrong moment? Oh, <laughs> I, I talked about this a lot, actually, with my husband when I was taking the job. I think... Um, I knew I was coming in at the height and I told him, honey, (laughs) I'm going to need your help because I know this is going to get very, very ugly for a while. I knew it was going to get very ugly and I knew that would be hard for me. Um, it's been less hard than I expected so far. I'll get to that. But, um, but you know, the market is cyclical and that's always been the case and it always will be the case. And, um, venture... Uh, I think if you're in it for the right reasons, at least, is is a really long-term strategy, right? I, I talked about, I'm going to be working with these companies for 10 years. I hope this is the last job I ever take. I hope to work, at, you know, with the Redpoint team until, you know, I am no longer ready to work anymore, which who knows when that'll happen because I really, really love what I do. But um, I think you know, you just have to have the staying power to understand that that these are cycles. I'm making early investments in companies that, you know, will hopefully IPO in eight to 10 years from now. The market's going to look very different. And fundamentally, what I'm looking for is amazing founders building like truly impactful 
companies that can become large, independent, standalone entities that hopefully have a positive influence on the world uh, as well. And so, you know, I, I don't think the fundamentals of VC change. I think the time horizons, like how quickly are you going to see liquidity in a deal? How hard are your subsequent raises going to be? How much capital do you have to raise um, in your aid and make sure that you can withstand, you know, market cycles. Those are all important things to to consider. Um, but I'm not particularly concerned about the timing. I think some of the best companies um, that we know and love today were built in downturns. And so I, I try to focus on the things that I can control, which is hopefully partnering with the right founders and doing everything I can to help get them as much leverage <laughs> as possible in these early days and, and get them pointed on the right path. And, you know, the market will will do what it, it will. And we just have to be smart about our fundraising strategy. You're on the board uh, of the Linux Foundation. Uh, how did you get started in Linux? Because it seems to me, you know, you mentioned your previous jobs. You mentioned your husband, who I assume you met somehow. somehow through open source. Yeah, through yep. open source, right? So you get interested in Linux. That yep. leads you to open source. That leads you to build companies. That leads you to become the founder of Bitnami and Bitrock, yeah. which leads you to GitHub, which <laughs> leads you to venture capital. And we got a husband in there on top of that. Yep. <laughs> what was the core thing that got you interested in Linux of all things? It was a Scientific American article from 2004. So thank you to whomever wrote that. I should go look up the author. Um, I was really fascinated by... Linus Torvalds and this early Linux movement and community. Like the idea that people across the world, and, and I mean, people are special for lots of different reasons, but these are some of the world's most brilliant technologists and minds coming together to try to build something with no clear commercial outcomes Um that would just first scratch their own itches and then help a lot of other people. And then, of course, there were some of the dynamics around like Microsoft versus the rest of the world back then that fueled a lot of the investments in, in Linux specifically. But um, <clears throat> I really came out of the fascination for what's happening here. And then, you know, in 2005, a lot of companies like MySQL, for example, were just getting founded. Red Hat was still in its earlier days. I think it was it was an interesting business problem to me to understand like how are people going to take something that's freely available and build a successful business around it it was almost like watching an hbs case study play out like how is this going to happen and so that it was like the intellectual like the curiosity around this problem that brought me in i think what caused me to stay was the community and um you know, it's it's such a, I mean, incredibly diverse, like, melting pot of perspectives and cultures and motivations and ethics and all kinds of things. But um, there are just some genuinely wonderful, helpful people in open source. And, you know, I came in and started um, Bitrock in 2005. I had studied investment finance at USC, which is not one a valley school by any stretch of the imagination, right? I was a total outsider. My dad had a construction company. Like there was nothing that connected me into 
like Silicon Valley, right? And and I meet my co-founder, Daniel, who is really like kind of prototypical nerd, right? Early member of the Apache Software Foundation, had been working in open source, n- brilliant product visionary, had never built or run a team or company. And I had a lot of that ex- experience and kind of DNA from my father being an entrepreneur. And you know, he and I joined forces and we started the company in Spain because he was Spanish and it was cheaper. And, you know, I would show up at these events, not having any street cred whatsoever. And there were so many people that were incredibly helpful to me, even like the business community. In fact, I just had dinner with Martin Mikos, who's uh, the CEO of MySQL and has long been an open source. And, um, you know, he and, and people like Larry Augustin, who started VA Linux, were just so incredibly helpful and supportive to this woman. I was usually the only woman there at the time, right? Things have thankfully changed a lot. Um, but I got so much support and mentorship. And I, I fell in love with, I think, the people and the aims and the potential impact of open source. We talked about this earlier. Like, open source has brought opportunities to people all over the world. And, you know, seeing it change people's lives and livelihoods in, you know, small villages in Latin America or in Africa, I think is is just amazing. And getting to play any small part in supporting the continued like growth and success of open source is uh is a huge honor and something I think I'll I'll spend the rest of my life somehow involved in the open source community just because I think it's such an important global force for good. Erica Brescia of Red Point Ventures and the Linux Foundation. Sand Hill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes at at PressHereTV.com.